Psalm 55, Cast Your Burden on the Lord. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea of mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O oh Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent, insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half of their days, but I will trust in you. Living the Proverbs day by day for July 8th. Today's lesson from Proverbs, Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25. Worry weighs a person down. 
This devotional is entitled, Taking Risks. And our scripture comes from Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? As we consider the uncertainties of the future, we are confronted with a powerful temptation, the temptation to, quote, play it safe. Unwilling to move mountains, we fret over molehills. Unwilling to entertain great hopes for tomorrow, we focus on the unfairness of today. Unwilling to trust God completely, we take timid half-steps when God intends that we make giant leaps. Today, ask God for the courage to step beyond the boundaries of your doubts. Ask Him to guide you to a place where you can realize your full potential, a place where you are freed from the fear of failure. Ask Him to do His part and promise Him that you will do your part. Don't ask Him to lead you to a safe place. Ask Him to lead you to the right place. And remember, those two places are seldom the same. My utmost for his highest for July 8th. Will to be faithful. Our scripture comes from Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. A person's will is embodied in the actions of the whole person. I cannot give up my will. I must exercise it, putting it into action. I must will to obey, and I must will to receive God's spirit. When God gives me a vision of truth, there is never a question of what he will do, but only of what I will do. The Lord has been placing in front of each of us some big proposals and plans. The best thing to do is to remember that remember what you did before when you were touched by God. Recall the moment when you were saved or first recognized Jesus or realized some truth. It was easy then to yield your allegiance to God. Immediately recall those moments each time the Spirit of God brings some new proposal before you. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Your choice must be a deliberate determination. It is not something into which you will automatically drift. And everything else in your life will be held in temporary suspension until you make a decision. The proposal is between you and God. Do not, as it says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 16, do not confer with flesh and blood about it. With every new proposal, the people around us seem to become more and more isolated. And that is where the tension develops. God allows the opinion of his other saints to matter to you, and yet you become less and less certain that others really understand the step you are taking. You have no business trying to find out where God is leading. The only thing you will experience that God will explain to you, excuse me, the only thing that God will explain to you is himself. Openly declare to him, I will be faithful. But remember that as soon as you choose to be faithful to Jesus Christ, you are witnesses against yourselves. Joshua chapter 24, verse 22. 
Don't consult with other Christians. Be simply and freely declare before him, I will serve you. Will to be faithful and give other people credit for being faithful too. Streams in the Desert for July 8th. Our scripture is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Our scripture is, They will soar on wings like eagles. Now, there is a fable about the way birds first got their wings. The story goes that initially they were made without them. Then God made the wings, set them down before the wingless birds, and said to them, Take up these burdens and carry them. The birds had sweet voices for singing and lovely feathers that glistened in the sunshine, but they could not soar in the air. When asked to pick up the burdens that lay at their feet, they hesitated at first, yet soon they obeyed, picked up the wings on the, with their beaks, their lovely beaks, and set them on their shoulders to carry them. For a short time, the load seemed very heavy and difficult to bear, but soon, as they continued to carry the burden and to fold the wings over their hearts, the wings grew attached to, the, to their little bodies. They quickly discovered how to use them and were lifted by the wings high into the air. The weights had become wings. Now, this is a parable for, for us. We are the wingless birds, and our duties and tasks are the wings God uses to lift us up and carry us heavenward. We look at our burdens and our heavy loads and we try to run from them. But if we will carry them and tie them to our hearts, they will become wings. And on them, we can rise and soar toward God. There is no burden so heavy that when lifted cheerfully with love in our hearts will not become a blessing to us. God intends for our tasks to be our helpers. To refuse to bend our shoulders to carry a load is to miss a new opportunity for growth. No matter how overwhelming any burden God has lovingly placed with his own hands on our shoulders is a blessing. continue here on Modern Grace with another installment from What the Bible Says About Seeking God. And our first scripture is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 27, or through 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what is it a profit? What does it for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, 
and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Our Savior is trying to explain the relative values of our physical lives and what we can humanly accomplish to what awaits us in what is commonly called the afterlife. In short, there is no comparison. Notice the Bible's consistency on the value of human life apart from God. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Job chapter 14 verses 1 and 2. Man who was born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. Psalm 90, verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Isaiah 40, chapters, or excuse me, chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass, with, the grass withers and flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. James chapter 4 verse, verse 14. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. 1 John chapter 2 verse 17. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The physical life we would live now is a bowl of lentils compared with eternal life. It is nothing more than a vapor, a breath, a shadow. The passing pleasures and cares of the world will only gratify and satisfy the immediate desires. If our only interest is the immediate gratification that the world has to offer, we are indeed saying, what profit is the kingdom of God to be now? Like Esau, we will despise our inheritance and go our way apart from God. Our inheritance is the kingdom of God. By seeking it and his righteousness first, we are telling God that we place high value on it that we want it, that we want to be like him and think like him, and that we can be trusted to take care of his estate and to live and reign with Christ. Matthew 27, verses 50 and 51. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Consider the general layout of the tabernacle in the wilderness as well as the temple in Jerusalem. Both basically were the same. As one approached its front, the first object encountered would be the altar of sacrifice, the brazen altar by which atonement was made. 
The Hebrew word translated as atonement means by which we draw near. In other words, by sacrifice represented by the brazen altar, we draw near to God, seeking him. After the brazen altar comes the laver. It could be described as being like a big bathtub. Here a person was to wash himself before proceeding any farther. Once inside the sanctuary, light came from the candelabra, representing Christ as the light of the world, as well as the light of God's truth spread from activity of the seven churches. On the table was the showbread, representing Christ as the bread of life. Directly in front of one who entered the holy place, past the table of showbread, stood the altar of incense, representing the prayers of the saints. Barring one's way into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God, was the veil. Once behind it, a person would be before the mercy seat, in the very presence of God. The veil being torn apart at Christ's death symbolizes that a personal relationship with, with God can be established. The way had been opened by the sacrificial death of our Savior. This intimate relationship with God is the key to our being transformed from glory to glory. If we cannot enter God's presence, if we are far away, there is not much hope of transformation. This is why the Bible so frequently urges us to seek God. Seeking God is part of dressing and keeping the relationship, helping it to grow. This close relationship is vital to increasing the Holy Spirit within us. John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus Christ's statement limits who can be converted. Only those the Father selects and draws may be converted. Indirectly, this verse intimates that men will not come to, to him unless drawn. Paul adds in Romans chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. People suppose they are free to choose to seek God at will, but this verse vigorously disputes that notion. Nobody seeks after God. Jesus reinforces this. You search the scriptures for, for, excuse me, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. That's John chapter 5 verses 39 through 40. In this instance, they had God in their very midst and they would not choose to follow him. He states this even more bluntly in John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Hated is a very strong word. However, some did choose to follow him. Notice what scripture says about them. But as many as received him, 
To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. This passage clearly says that those who followed Christ did so not by exercising their wills, but because they were prompted by God's will. Recall Paul's statement in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It is God who works in you both to will and to do. The fulfilling of God's twin promises in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, and Ezekiel chapter 36, 24 through 28, in our lives makes all the difference in the world concerning the use of the will. By them, we have a new heart as a gift from God, a heart that does not hate God. The proof that the hatred has been removed is that the one who has received this benefit consistently uses his will to choose to obey God's will as, express, as expressed in his law. The new heart and submission to God's will go hand in hand. A statement from the Apostle Paul helps to put our attitude on the right trajectory. For who makes you differ from another? And what, did you, what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did in, indeed receive, why do you boast as if you had not received it? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Let me say that one more time. Uh, for who makes you differ, differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? What we have received is a gift of grace, unearned in any way. We need to understand that man's free will is free only and that God never compels anybody to sin. The sinner is not free to do either good or evil because his corrupt heart formed by Satan's dominion, always inclines him to sin. Man is enslaved by that heart, a bondage that can be broken only by God's merciful intervention. By virtue of God's gift, only the called of God are truly free to exercise their will to choose the good. God's gift does not merely counterbalance the evil heart corrupted by Satan's world but can thoroughly dominate human nature because God works in us to do his will. Exercising this will that is motivated by a God-given heart will enable us to flee Babylon's evil influence. John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The term know implies intimate experiential knowledge, not merely bookish or theoretical knowledge. Jesus Christ suggests that having an intimate relationship with the Father and Son causes us to become one with Him. The only way we can do that is by living the way God does by faith. He walks, lives life with those who agree with Him. The one who already had this unique relationship with God reveals to us the knowledge of how to do that. Originally given to a spiritually faltering people, Amos chapter 5 verse 4 adds a vital command. 
For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. The word seek is not being used in the sense of search because God has already revealed himself to them. Instead, it conveys the sense of turn to me, seek to live as I do, turn to my way of life, seek to know me in intimate detail. In John chapter 17, verse 3, eternal is translated from the, from the Greek, aionois. Well, I'm not sure if I said that right. It's A-I-O-N-I-S, aionis, aionis, something of that nature. Here it deals not so much with the duration of life, since by itself living forever would not necessarily be good. Rather, it implies quality. Eternal life is the life of God the way he lives life. To possess it is to experience a small measure of its splendor now. Four times in this chapter, verses 6, 11, 12, and 26, Jesus uses the word name in reference to God. Name represents, identifies, signifies, and encompasses what he is revealing to us about God. It includes what he is in his person, his attributes, and his purpose. God's name keeps, guards, and sustains us, both by by our trusting what it signifies and then through obedience expressing what it means. In Psalm chapter 9, verse 2, declares, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing your praise I will sing praise to your name, O Most High, and those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Name does not refer to what he is called or the sound of the name, but what he is like in his nature and character. We can trust what he is. This has marvelous implications for us. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The word in verse 19 can just as correctly be translated as into, meaning that we are immersed into the name of the Father and Son. We now bear that name. They are God, and we are children of God. Baptism and the receipt of the Holy Spirit are the entrance into that name and all it implies. We have entered into the family of God, just as a son bears his father's name. God's name is our spiritual spiritual family name.